If you'll turn in your Bible right now to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, and if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, I'll just read one verse in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Again, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we stand before you and your word, I think there's not a one of us in here that would not confess to you that we have struggled with fear. And Lord, we see the great need in our life for a fresh touch from you and a fresh ability to trust you. Lord, we know you're real. We know you know everything. You see everything. So this day, Lord, I pray, in this time, in this service, you would speak to our hearts and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. This is a message that has been burning on my heart for some weeks. I actually shared it at another church a few weeks ago. And I've kind of tweaked it a little bit since then, but just something that this verse kept coming into my mind, as all of us have faced this fear in the past couple of years, fear of many different things. I'm hearing myself. And we're living in a time when fear is being used by our enemy, Satan, to paralyze Christians. Timothy, this young pastor, he faced fears, and and Paul the apostle, his mentor, wrote to him about those fears, and specifically this text, when Paul was about to die, one of the key things he wanted Timothy to do is not to fear and to come to a place of resting in God's power, his love, and his sound-mindness. Satan would love to use fear to bring us down, to bring us where we have little influence in the world around us, where we're so gripped in our own life, we can't be what God wants us to be, salt and light. So this is my topic today. I, I chose this topic of fear, and it's fear specifically of man because there's a contrast. The fear of the Lord is good, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we know. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, Lord is to hate all evil. You know, fear of God in the proper context is a wonderful thing. It's an important thing. It's a good thing. But fear of man 
and fear of circumstances. And that's what we're facing in our lives today. We fear for our kids and our grandkids. Those of us who are a bit older, especially, we look back on our life. And you know, I was talking about these things the other day with somebody on how things have changed so much in this world. We have a, a fellow we know that's recently come out of prison. He was in prison for 30 years. And when he was still in prison, he was asked, he needed clothes when he came out of prison. So a church said, well, well, we'll get you some clothes. And then his sister said to him on a phone call, she said, well, we don't need to bother them getting clothes. We'll just go to Walmart. You know what he said? What's Walmart? That's how much the world has changed. You know, when I was a kid, we'd leave the house in the morning and we wouldn't come home all day. We'd find a peanut butter sandwich at somebody else's house for lunch. We just, it was a different world. And, and today we're in this world where there's a lot of fear. And we fear for our kids and for our grandkids. We can have fear that we can't do the things we want to do. Ultimately, we even fear for our own lives. And Christians are being marginalized in our culture and those who stand up could very well face real persecution in the United States of America these days. This is real. And so, and already are around the globe. Our brothers and sisters are being murdered in Afghanistan right now. Not just Afghanistan, Indonesia, parts of the Philippines. There are areas where the Christian, you know, this is what it was. In fact, the word martyr comes from the Bible. It's the word witness. It was coined when the early church started, and that was the norm in the early church, that there would be martyrs. We in America have been spoiled. What is fear? Well, fear is an, it's an unpleasant emotion that causes us to believe that someone or something is dangerous and even likely to cause pain or even the threat of death. That's in essence what, what the fear we're talking about. And the verb of fear is to be afraid of someone or something, something dangerous, threatening, or whatever. But I want to talk to you today, as we get to this eventually, <laughs> about overcoming fear. How to overcome fear. And we have read this verse. We have this great verse in front of us. But we have to have, in order to believe this verse, we have to believe that God is the God of the Bible. That God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do. As you've heard me quote many times, that is the definition of faith because the opposite of fear is faith. And we have to have that kind of trust and belief. And it's essential, though, that we see things biblically. And the problem today is many do not see things from a biblical perspective. They don't have a biblical worldview. And in fact, I was reading some articles about this where George Barna has done a new study. And it's estimated there's 176 million adults who identify as Christians in the United States of America. Now that's, that's, that's people who say they're Christians. 
that, that's a high number as far as my con, uh, conception of what real Christianity is. But 176 million would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Of those 176 million, 15 million of them, only 15 million, identify as a biblical worldview. 6% that would say, I have a, I'm a Christian. Now, to me, if you're a Christian, you believe this word. That's a real Christian. But there are many who say they're Christians, and they don't. They're, they're simply, Barner goes on to talk about how they're simply religious. They're churchgoers. They want a, a reputation of being a Christian. They want, <clears throat> they want to have that after their name. They want the ethic involved and connected to that. They, they like to know, they, they're conservatives in that sense. But here's a, here's a fascinating statistic, that 62% of self-identified born-again Christians, that would be people we would think we agree with, they contend that the Holy Spirit is not real. 62%. 61% say all religious faiths are of equal value. And 60% believe that, a, that if a person is good enough, and does enough good things, they can earn their way into heaven. Can I tell you something? All those things challenge the biblical worldview. That is not true according to the Bible. You can't go to heaven based on anything other than the grace of God. It's by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. There's no, there's no way you're getting to heaven on your merit. You can't be good enough. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are rotten sinners. You say, well, I'm not as rotten as another guy. Yes, well, maybe not. Doesn't mean you're not rotten. You just don't smell as bad as he does. <laughs> you're just not as bad. You know, that's what we, we like to compare with other people. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. But on the scale, you, you, you still, it doesn't weigh. Paul Tripp, who is part of this uh, article also, he says there's a generation that has abandoned fundamental categories. And there's a study done of two-thirds of teens and young adults, Christian teens and young adults, who say many religions can lead to eternal life. So-called, so again, Christians. These are people who say young, young people who say they're Christians. And they, they even said in this article that 31% of these teens agree that morally right and wrong changes over time based on society. That's not a biblical worldview. We need a full picture of Jesus. We need to see Jesus for who he really is. That's what Mark Clark, the a pastor of, a, of the Village Church in Vancouver, Canada, said. He said, depending on your ideological bent, we home in on different aspects of Jesus, and then we ignore other aspects. And that's true. That's what the world, that's what the Christian, so-called Christian world does today. We know that Jesus is all about the golden rule, but, but was also about the scandalous idea that to give up your family's, family life, if it's an idol in order to follow him, that's true too. But people don't want to believe that. We need to see Jesus clearly. We need to become biblical in our approach 
to life. And this is a part, a big part, being biblical in your approach is a big part of dealing with your fears. It's a huge part because you, if you don't see the Bible as really true, you can't believe the promises of it. And so we're going to talk about this today. God has not given us the spirit of fear. What is the spirit of fear? What is this thing we call the spirit of fear? What happens when you fear? Well, when you fear, you have a loss of freedom in your life. Genesis chapter 3 says that they, they, they were no longer free to be naked in the garden. We're going to talk about that in a minute, a little more. But the freedom that they had of relationship with God because they sinned, they were no longer free. And that's what fear does. It, it puts you in bondage. They wanted to hide. They were in bondage to themselves. And so as we, we get to this, in fact, if you want to turn over to Genesis 3, we'll look at that for a minute. And, and we're not going to spend a lot of time there. Mike taught on Genesis 3 in on Wednesday night, and it was an excellent study. If you didn't get it, you can watch it online and check it out. But it's, it, this issue is so important to see what is the root, where does fear come from? Where did it get started? And it got started right there in the garden with Adam and Eve. We know the story, you're familiar with the story, that Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were in fellowship with God. They're walking the cool of the evening. They're spending time with God. And here comes along this fellow we call the serpent. Now we know him to be Satan. We know he is the, he, he is, he's the cunning, evil Satan, Lucifer, who's fallen from heaven himself. And he comes along and he says to Eve, has God not said? You know that story. You know the whole thing there. He, she, he approaches her. Has God not said that you can eat of every tree of the garden? That's right there in verse 1. He questions the word of God to her. He gets her thinking about something she doesn't have. That's, by the way, what covetousness is. The devil will, will cause you to covet and want something you don't have. And let me say, you know, Eve had it pretty well in the garden. He, she was, you know, she had a pretty good gig going on. She had the perfect husband. How about that, ladies? Her husband never sinned up till that point. She had the best figure of any woman who ever lived. She was the model. <laughs> Talk about a supermodel. She had no stretch marks yet. <laughs> she never needed to color her hair. She didn't need to wear makeup because there were no wrinkles. She had no bills. She had no in-laws. <laughs> she had no kids to take care of yet. She had a good thing going. But Satan came along and he said, you may have a good thing going, but you don't have this. Did God not say, and he twists the word of God because he said, did not God say you couldn't eat of every tree? That's not the way God said it. God said, you can't eat of this tree, this specific tree. And he tempts her. 
And he makes her desire it. He says, you know, it's desirable for one to make you wise. And it, it, it gets into her head that it's, it's, an, it's an edible fruit. It's good for, the, for you. It, you'll, you'll appeal, it appeals to you. There's a desire going on here. And she gave in to her desire rather than to obey the word of God. But here's what ends up happening. I want you to notice verse 10. Because she goes and they hide in the garden. You remember, they're hiding in the garden from the presence of God. God calls out to Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam says in verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. First time that word is used in the Bible. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God says to him, who said you're naked? Who told you you were naked? Of course, that begins the dialogue over the issue of sin. By the way, I was reading a story about a pastor who went to visit his parishioners. He was, this is back in the days when pastors would actually just stop by your house. This would never happen today. But um, one house seemed to be, obviously someone seemed to be home, and he went and, and knocked on the door, repeatedly knocked and knocked, and, and, and no one answered, but it seemed like someone was home. So he, he took out his business card. He wrote on the card, Revelation 3.20. On the back of it, stuck the door in the door and, and went, went on his way. And then the following Sunday, the card came back in the offering. And, and on the other side of the card, it said Genesis 3.10. So he figured, well, let me, he couldn't, hey, well, how's, how's this play? Well, Revelation 3.20 says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him, live with him, and he with me. And of course, Genesis 3.10, we just read, he says, well, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. <laughs> Didn't go back to that house after that. No. <laughs> but I want you to see in this text, I want you to see something that's so important that you might not have noticed this, but the root of fear is sin. You see, it was the fall once Adam and Eve sinned, once they fell from the grace of God and, and, fell and gave in to the enemy and gave in to the wiles of the devil, fear entered their life. And the wrong kind of fear of God, running away from the presence of God. Because that's what will happen when you're not doing well and you're fearful, you'll tend to run away from the presence of God. God created it, this world in this wonderful way to give it all to them, and they, now they're stuck. And, and I want you to understand something. We, we, we talk about Adam and Eve, and we always talk about Eve and how she was tempted and how she was deceived, and she was deceived. I want you to note something, though, so that we don't turn and blame the women, because this is what happens. Guys are like, yeah, if it weren't for Eve. <laughs> and somehow we think if we had been the ones that were there, we wouldn't have done this. Do you ever think that way? I know you do. Come on. And, 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 you know, you think, if I was the one that was there, I would, well, listen, you're not as perfect as Eve was. Let me tell you that. But here's the thing that's interesting. Eve was deceived. Never says Adam was deceived. It says she gave the fruit to her husband and he ate of it. Eve, Adam followed Eve. Adam wanted Eve more than he wanted God. It was an idol. It was the first idolatry, if you will. 
And so we see how the enemy approaches this way and how he takes this and it causes them to sin and it causes them to fall. And it, he uses the same tactics that First John talks about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He says, he says you saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. There's the lust of the eyes. It was good for food, the lust of the flesh. The tree was desirable to make one wise. There's a pride of life, just like John says in First John. And the same temptation that Satan came along and tried to put on Jesus. Because you remember how he came to Jesus and he said, turn these stones into bread. There's the lust of the flesh. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, these can all be yours. There's the lust of the eyes. And he took him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said, throw yourself down. Declare yourself to be the Messiah by jumping off the temple. Pride of life. It's the same way that he comes to us with those temptations. And then he tries to tempt us. When we fall, we struggle then with fear in our life. And when we have hidden sins, and we have areas of our life that we haven't given over, we haven't trusted God with, he uses that. He manipulates us. And as believers, we need to not fall into these things. We need to not give in to the fears of this world. And the immediate consequences, obviously, was really awful for the world, wasn't it? <laughs> and it tells us that they were both, them. They, when they knew they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Have you ever seen a fig leaf? It's, it's a prickly leaf. Like, what do you, you, you almost want to get into the story like, not fig leaves. At least use palm branches or something. Like, not fig leaves. Like, if this was, a, if this was like a, in a story and you were watching this, you'd be like, no, not fig leaves. <laughs> Please. But understand something. They're covering of fig leaves. That's the first religion in the world. That's religion. It's, a, it's trying to cover yourself somehow from the presence of God because you're ashamed of yourself. That's what religion does. And there's lots of people today who are still trying to put on fig leaves. They do it around me sometimes as a pastor. For some strange reason, people, when they're, you know, they find out you're a pastor, all of a sudden, they're putting fig leaves on. They're putting fig leaves over the way they talk. I, I think I told this story before, but it's so funny, I'll tell it again. Another pastor friend of mine, we were on a golf course, and we played 18 holes of golf with this father and son, and all they did was drop, the language was brutal all the time. And, you know, we're playing with them, and we don't go, I don't go to a golf and tee off and say, I'm a pastor, watch your mouth. And I, I mean, that's not, you know, we're playing golf. So they're using their thing, and you get to the 18th hole, we're the last hole. We're just about to go on the green of the last hole, we're done. And the son turns to us and says, by the way, what do you guys do? And my, my friend says, well, we're pastors. And the kid goes, oh, no, like this. <laughs> Fig leaves. He's covered himself in front of me. I, I said to him, I said, well, God heard, heard you the whole time. Like, But that fear leads to shame and 
and, and it leads to people trying to cover themselves, hiding from God. And this is always the result of sin. This is where sin goes. Deception leads to more deception, thinking we can hide from God. The psalmist declared, where can I go from your spirit? Psalm 139. Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. See, we need to have the right kind of fear. Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If Adam and Eve had had the fear of the Lord, if, if they had had such a fear of God that they wouldn't even speak to the serpent, I mean, this was her first mistake, right? First, I mean, don't talk to snakes. There's, a, there's lesson number one. And we can be hard on her and think that somehow we would do better, and we wouldn't. We wouldn't. And the fruit of fear is it led Adam and Eve to experience what, the, what that sin led to, being cast out of the garden, and all of us being born in sin. We've been born this way, we've been born as sinners, we have a sinful nature, and we need a savior, we need a redeemer, and aren't you glad that God gave them lambskin covers? Because <laughs> that's what he did. He said, look at those fig leaves, and he went, oh, that's bad. And so he brought them lambskin. How do you get the lambskin? There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a sacrifice. And there we see the beginning of the gospel, the redemption of man. And fear, it, it, it's an amazing thing. It can cause you to lose your focus. You can forget where you are. I think of the story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Our brother Ray Dash shared this at the conference, and, and it, it struck me that how strong the uh, message this was on how David, and he's on his way to go meet the the, the warriors against the Philistines, and there's this giant Goliath, and he's out there cursing God and cursing the children of Israel. And, and, and it tells us in verse 11 of chapter 17, it says that, that, uh, it says that the whole of Israel was afraid at the words of Goliath. It goes on in, in verse 24, and it says, and they were dreadfully afraid. See, none of those men that were at that battle until David got there believed God. None of them believed that God was the God who said he was. They had somehow forgotten all the things that he had done for Israel. But David said, you dog. I love him. You're going to defy? You think you're going to defy the living God? I come to you in the name of the living God. And he throws that stone, of course, and I believe that stone could have gone any direction you wanted to because it had Goliath's name on it. It was going this way, and if Goliath was over there, it had hit that wall and come back and hit him in the head because the Holy Spirit was leading that stone. David didn't need to be a great shot. He just needed to trust the Holy Spirit. But fear kept them from engaging in the battle. You know, that's what that will do to you. 
you allow fear to rule your life, it'll keep you from engaging in the battle that we are in. Folks, we're in a battle. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, the, that, against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. If you don't think there's not a ruler of darkness behind this whole world and what's going on in this world, you're not paying attention as a Christian. Understand this. We're in a war. It's a war for the very souls of, of our friends, our relatives. Fear can lead to a lot of problems. Abraham had fear and it led him to lie about his wife. He was afraid to say that his wife was his wife, so he said his wife was his sister. <laughs> that, I, I, I imagine the tent later on didn't go well for Abe. <laughs> you said what? You know, we're told that she called him Lord, but we don't know when she called him Lord. <laughs> Behind closed doors, I'm sure they had a conversation. Peter was fearful when Jesus went to the cross. And it led him to a temptation, and he denied the Lord. This is what fear does to us. This is why we need to battle it. So what is the recipe for overcoming fear? Well, we see that the Apostle Paul, and I'm not saying this is the only place, but there's because there's many promises in the Word of God about fear. But the Apostle Paul gives a very concise, simple little thing. Three simple things he says. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power. Do you guys realize the power that you have? Many of us don't realize the power we have. You have the third person of the triune God living inside you. Not only that, if you're a believer, if you're born again, you have him inside you, but not only that, you have the power of the Spirit upon your life. In Acts chapter one, Jesus said, go and wait to the disciples for the promise of the Father which you heard from me. And he said, I will baptize you in my Holy Spirit and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power, dunamis power, to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He said, hey, you don't know what you have. And Paul is saying, you didn't receive the spirit of fear, Timothy. You young pastor, you need to go for it. Power, love, and a sound mind. Because there is an enslaving spirit of fear that will try to take control of your life. And it doesn't come from God. And it's a powerful weapon in the hands of the enemy if you let it be. You know, we think, well, it wasn't, it wasn't always this way. We didn't always have fear like we have now. Well, you know, you need to understand that fear's been here a long time in the world. And you, you think, well, they didn't have it. Like, they didn't go through a pandemic. No, they didn't go through a pandemic the way we did. No, the Christian world in Paul's day, there were martyrs all over the world. And they were being enslaved. They were being murdered. It was like it is in Afghanistan right now for the Apostle Paul and for Peter and for those guys. That was the norm in the early church. You see, the United States of America, we're spoiled. We've had this world this way. And that's why I think we struggle with that. And I know, as I said earlier, many of us, we struggle with the fear for our children. 
We struggle with the fear of our, for our grandkids, that they're not going to grow up in this world the way we did. I got this from our, our, it came through our Slack communication here at the church. It's by a guy named Alex Craven, so I'm going to read this to you. This is powerful. Listen carefully. Don't feel sorry or fear for our kids because the world they're growing up in is not what it used to be. God created them and called them for the exact moment in time that they're in. Their life wasn't a coincidence or an accident. Raise them up to know the power they walk in as children of God. Train them in the authority of his word. Teach them to walk in faith knowing that God is in control. Empower them to know that they can change the world. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but hopeful that they can do something about it. This is powerful, listen. Every person in all of history has been placed in the time that they were in because of God's sovereign plan. He knew Daniel could handle the lion's den. He knew David could handle Goliath. He knew Esther could handle Haman. He knew Peter could handle persecution. And he knows your child or grandchild can handle whatever challenge they face in life. He created them specifically for it. So don't be scared for your children, but honor God, be honored that God chose you to parent the generation that is facing the greatest challenges of our lifetime. Rise up to the challenge. Raise Daniels and Davids and Esthers and Peters. God isn't scratching his head wondering what he's going to do with this mess of a world. He has an army he's raising up to drive back the darkness and make him known all over the world. Don't let your fear steal the greatness that God has placed in them. And know it's hard to, we know it's hard to imagine them as anything besides our sweet little babies. And we just want to protect them from everything that could ever harm them. But they were born for such a time as this. Amen. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power. Now, not only is it power, this dynamic power that he's given us, but he's given us the spirit of love. And, and, and the power we get when we've been filled with the spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and we're walking in the spirit, there is a love that overflows from us. And of course, it starts with our love of God, that God, first of all, God loved us. We respond by loving him and his love for us and his love in us then permeates out of us. So we have where we know Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we're to live our lives this way. So love your enemies, Jesus said. Bless those who curse you. Be good to those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, this is perfect love, right? John said it this way in 1 John 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear involves torment, 
but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Jesus Christ, of course, our Lord, our brother, our older brother, our savior, our master, our king, he had perfect love. He loved Caiaphas. He loved Annas. He loved the the guys that were putting the nails in the cross. That's how come he could say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Because he loved them. God wants to use our lives in that kind of love. He wants us to love people the way Jesus loved. It being only a few weeks after 9-11 memorial time when we remembered the towers and the, the deaths of all the people both in Washington, D.C. and in New York, I was reminded of the story of a man named Al Branca who in his final moments of his journey with Christ, he was an executive with uh, Cantor Fitzgerald on the, I think he was on the 80th, 82nd floor of the tower, one of the towers. And he was known as Reverend Al. And when the towers got hit and he knew they weren't getting out, he gathered a group of people and the, the reports came from those who, who communicated with him on how Reverend Al is gathering us all together and we're praying. And he didn't think of himself during this time. He thought of others, and he thought of how he could bring more people to heaven with him. You see, we should treat our lives that way. We should love people so much that all we can think about is, how am I going to get them to heaven with me? So he gathered together, and they joined hands, and they prayed. And many of them, it's said by their own relatives, they received Christ that day. And he died in those towers. What a way to go, amen? It, it must have been an amazing thing to his family to hear that. This is the kind of love that God wants us to have for people. To think of them, to care about them, and to care about them so much, we want them to go to heaven with us. We don't want to leave them behind. And even our enemies. Listen, hell is real. And I don't want anybody to go there. I wish that none would perish, just as God does. But lastly, not only is it power, love, but a sound mind. And I can relate to this, because my mind before I was a Christian was not sound. <laughs> and, and most of you can relate to that, too. Like, you, you know, you think of your crazy mind, Right? It's, it's a contrast. Like you, you have a sound mind now. You were out of your mind before. And most of us were. We were out of our minds. We might have thought we weren't out of our minds, but that was the problem. We thought we weren't out of our minds. We needed a sound mind. We needed a new mind. We needed what 1 Corinthians tells us that the Holy Spirit can give us when we spiritually discern things. He says, who can know the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is what God has given us. As he deposited his spirit inside us and his spirit is upon our lives, as we live and we walk in the spirit, we are of sound mind. And the more you are in the spirit, the more you are in a sound mind. You have a sound mind. You can think clearly. It changes the way you think. The Holy Spirit 
redirects your thoughts. And not only that, one of the versions talks about this being self-control or self-discipline. There's a discipline and a control that comes into your life because of the power of the Spirit of God when you allow God to control your life. I have two more verses to close. One is in Isaiah 41. It's been a, one that I've been meditating on and loving through this whole year and a half, two-year time. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, they will not be burned. You will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen? Here's how Paul put it in another place in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Just like the song today, we run to the Father. We cry out, Abba, Papa, Daddy, help me. And he calms our fears and he settles our hearts. So, Timothy, <laughs> Paul said, don't fear. Get a hold of yourself in these things. Come to the cross. Come to the work of Christ. Realize you've been crucified with Christ. Realize that you have the power, the love, and the sound mind, the wisdom of God in your life. So how do we overcome fear? The power of God, the love of God, and the Spirit of God in control of our lives. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the work of your Spirit in each of our lives. And Lord, as we come to this closing time of this, uh, this service, I pray for every person in this room and I pray especially for those who may be struggling specifically with this area of fear in their lives, Lord. I ask you, Lord, by the power of your spirit to, to free them today. Even as we saw, many people after the first service told me they were freed in a new way today. I pray that would happen for people even right now.